0: Devcom Podcast presents the Fireside Cast with your host Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our Devcom Podcast series, bringing you the Devcom experience year-round. Today's guest is the amazing Felicia Prein, and I pronounced his name in German. <laughs> That's what we talked about before. <laughs> so Felicia so, uh, is community manager, producer, accessibility consultant, and so much more. Uh, lisha is also our keynote speaker at the diversity and inclusion summit uh, in a couple days so i'm so excited you join me today welcome
1: danke i think is that german oh
0: that was perfect yeah that was perfect german thank you <laughs> so <laughs>
1: in sticking with the theme <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely so we'll probably uh, talk a bit about uh, or actually a lot about managing communities uh, today uh, it's gonna be our main theme um but before we dive right into that topic Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and and the parts that I'm sure I forgot in the little intro (laughs) I did uh, and see like your journey in the uh, world of gaming so far.
1: Sure, so my name is Felicia and I'm not German. And I've been working as a community manager for 17 years across pretty much every internet platform that has ever existed. Uh, In games, I've been a producer of mobile games and animation for the past five and a half years at a company called Nopia. I'm also a board member of We in Games Finland, which is an organization that advocates for more diversity and inclusion in the Finnish game industry. I'm a radio host at Finest FM, which is Finland's only Estonian language radio channel. I am not Estonian. I also do voice acting. I'm a DJ. I make Eurodance and I do a lot of other stuff too that is currently slipping my mind. But I think everything I do, when I say all these things out loud, I feel like there's this recurring theme of communicating with people and interacting with people. Uh, But obviously, I'm not going to introduce myself to anyone as a communicator, a people person, or (laughs) some (laughs) other LinkedIn style, you know, buzzword social networking influencer headline. (laughs)
0: But you could introduce yourself, like, as the only non-Estonian Estonian Estonian radio host, right? (laughs) That is true.
1: Um, And I'm I'm actually curious about that myself. Like, I know I do the world's only English-language radio show about Estonian music, and I would not be surprised if I'm the only non-Estonian Estonian Estonian radio host as well. (laughs) But I would have to double-check that, because there might be some Russians or some Germans or Latvians working for radio stations in Estonia. I'm not sure. But to my knowledge, I'm the only one. At least in Finland, I'm the only one. <laughs>
0: it's a, definitely a cool story. I mean, it, it stood out a little bit, uh, you know, among all the things you do. Uh, that was the one we hadn't talked about before. So I, yeah. I, I, I didn't know that. How did you get in touch with uh, with these guys? It, 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 was it just based on your interest in uh, Estonian music or uh, just random uh, happening? Or how did that work?
1: So I was coming home from seeing Kraftwerk, the German band, uh, about three years ago. Actually, almost exactly three years ago. And I was browsing through the radio channels on uh, in Helsinki on just like the regular FM radio. And I came across a channel playing the Eurodance song No One Else by Bushman, which is like the worst Eurodance song I can think of. It's terrible. And (laughs) this was like the middle of the afternoon on a Thursday. So I was like, what kind of insane radio station plays such an obscure, cult, terrible track at this time. And I kept listening and then I heard the jingle of, you know, I no know, and I was like, oh, it's Estonian. And I kept listening. And then I started to hear Estonian language versions of songs I knew. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. So I kept listening and then I just got more curious and curious as the days went on. I started to buy CDs, I started to spend way too much time on Discogs looking at songwriters and all this kind of information. I bought a bunch of CDs and at this point uh, I started posting in the Estonian subreddit Resti, and the Estonian media picked up on this. So uh, I went to Tallinn in summer of 2018, and I had a photographer from Postimes, which is like one of the biggest tabloids in Estonia, follow me around for the weekend and like take pictures of me enjoying Estonian stuff. And I was going for a music festival, uh, We Love the 90s Tallinn, and I got to go backstage and meet the Estonian artists. And I think if you Google my name, you can still find the Postimes article and like the photo gallery and stuff. Um,
0: I'm definitely gonna then, do that right after the recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I had this idea, like what if I covered an album of Estonian songs, but instead of you know, an Estonian translating English language songs to Estonian, I would translate Estonian language songs into English. So I half used Google Translate, half to use Finnish logic because the languages are somewhat similar. And I translated the songs and then kind of rearranged the lyrics a little bit to make them more poetic. Uh, I got the Finnish Eurodance group Korale or Korale involved, excuse me, along with the producer Rama. And together we made this four song EP called Estonia that was all cover songs. And when I released that, I got more media attention in Estonia. I was on uh, Vika Radio, which is the Estonian morning show program on. I would say like the Estonian national broadcaster ERR, it's it's pretty big. And after that, <laughs> I went back to Estonia again. And the person who had interviewed me for Vicar Radio had switched jobs and was now hosting a TV show on uh, a show called Duobel on TV3. And he said he wanted to interview me for TV3. And I was like, wow, that's so exciting. Uh, but when I got to the interview place, it wasn't just him. It was also uh, a guy called Pedro Paulus, who is the lead singer of Two Quick Start, which is probably the biggest post-occupation Estonian pop band. Uh, he's like, a lot of people consider Two Quick Start to be like Estonian ABBA. They're massive. So I met like one of the most famous people in the country cool. on on a candid camera style show. Uh, and the, the the reaction of me who, you know, you don't know me, but like I consider myself someone who does not have a hard time talking, nor articulating how I feel. Uh, But I turned into a big old pile of mush in that instant. So (laughs) I'm like covering my face and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I'm speechless. And apparently that clip went like semi-viral in Estonia. And a couple of months after that, Finest FM, the radio station that I found that fateful February evening, Uh, had put out a call asking for program ideas. And I messaged them and I said, hi, I have an idea for a program. I wanna make a show about Estonian music in English. Can I come for an interview? And they said, yeah, okay. And so I showed up to their office and the second I walk into the door, this lady stands up and she's like, oh, you're the one from the two quick start uh, like meeting on on TV. Everyone in Estonia knows who you are. Wow. (laughs) And I was like, oops, yay. And uh, that was a year ago. So my show will be one year old in like two weeks. And uh, actually today is Estonia's uh, Independence Day also. So. This is a timely conversation.
0: <laughs> so, so I think I asked the right question about this one because it's, it stood out and uh, it's just such a cool story. I'm pretty sure if I asked about the other, <laughs> you know, other roles that you have, uh, you probably have similar stories to share. Uh, but how, do, how about we dive into the, um, the community management side of things a little bit? Sure. Um, so... <laughs> So, uh, if we if we look back at uh, you know what you've done in, in regards to communities uh, over the, I think it's about seventeen years that, uh, yeah. that you mentioned you've been managing communities one way or the other. Yeah, uh, since I was twelve. Wow, <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's a it's a long time. So, I know it's a tough question to ask, but what were what are the things you learned uh, over those seventeen years mostly?
1: I'm assuming you want me to say something poetic. And no, like, it doesn't have to be poetic. All, I just want
0: to be honest. <laughs>
1: all people are individuals. But the real thing that I've learned is uh, it's really fascinating to see how people from different countries speak English or write English. And to notice these kind of linguistic differences in the same language, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like I've gotten really good at being able to tell what country someone is from based on how they write, if English is not their first language. Right. And I would say that's really interesting because before this, I just assumed that if someone learned English, they learned English. But because I've dealt with so many people from so many different parts of the world, I've gotten a really keen eye, for example, how people who speak Russian as a native language, how they write, and people who speak Finnish as a native language, how they write, and people who speak a Spanish or Latin language as a first language? How do they write? So it's, it's fascinating, I would say, and just to also, like, to see how people engage with others linguistically, in general, if that makes any sense, like when native English speakers come together with people who speak English as a second or even third or fourth language, to see the way the interactions happen is really fascinating to just sit back and watch.
0: So, so what were some of the communities that you, that you worked with that, that you managed? I mean, uh, we could talk like some of the topics or some of the platforms. I'm just curious if you can give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, what uh, you've mostly been active on
1: reddit but i don't want to name specifics no you don't for, you my, for my for no, my own sanity i would say reddit is where i've done yeah. the bulk of my work but when i was younger i did a lot for artists that i like so i got my my first ever moderation role was on the 18s.com message board if you remember the ATNs, they were the Uh, pop group who did Eurodance pop covers of ABBA songs yeah yeah,
0: absolutely remember
1: (laughs) yeah so I was a moderator on their forum and that's how I started moderating and from there I moderated the um, the street team for the UK boy band Busted I like ran their American street team and also did moderation on a Yahoo group if you remember Yahoo groups (laughs)
0: Uh, i've never been active on yahoo groups uh, i mean I, I i know yahoo was a bigger thing back in the day <laughs> yeah but... so
1: yahoo groups were kind of like a forum-y kind of thing i don't know how to explain it but yeah. um and then myspace i did a ton of stuff for different bands uh for drive-thru records i was a street team leader and coordinated coordinated a small team uh in the 2000s and 2000 or 2010s sorry uh it was a lot of stuff for different finnish djs and different finnish artists local groups um interest in politically based groups not like politically in the sense of like right wing or left wing but just like topical i guess is the right word maybe not politically based but like topical groups so i've done a whole lot of everything across tons of platforms
0: (laughs) so what would be the the typical challenges you come across and what are similarities between all those communities I mean it sounds like you've uh, managed quite a few uh, on different platforms different topics uh, different groups um, what have you noticed across the board other than the linguistic part that you already talked about um, am
1: I allowed to curse
0: I have no problem with cursing <laughs>
1: assholes are everywhere
0: <laughs> all right that's what I was was afraid you're gonna say because that's <laughs> uh, that's that's how I feel about communities <laughs> sometimes yeah. assholes
1: are everywhere but also amazing people yeah. are everywhere. So every community is about 50/50 people who are wonderful and people who are not wonderful, if that makes any sense. And it's about finding a balance and finding a good headspace to tackle the less than wonderful kinds of people who are out there and and finding a way to not lose your sanity in that process. Um And to also try to be empathetic to an extent about why people are behaving poorly, Uh, because, you know, in some cases, it's really easy to see a Nazi, for example, someone who is advocating for violence against ethnic groups and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to write that person off. You know, in those cases, it's pretty easy, (laughs) but it's not always so clear. It's not always so cut and dry as this person is a Nazi, so I'm just going to ban them. Sometimes it's much more nuanced and much more subtle. And in those situations, you really kind of have to think about what's happening. You know, Sometimes I'll log into Reddit and I'll find like these 15 replies on either side. So like 30 30 reply long threads of just a slap fight between two users calling each other ugly and saying each other's moms are fat. And then I have to go, to the top of the post and figure out like okay how did this actually start um because right now both of them are <laughs> right now both of them are being bad um, and then it turns out it started as a disagreement about brexit that turned into calling each other's mother's fat so like it it's it's about like you have to read a lot I would say and and analyze a lot and it's it's never or I'm not gonna say never but it's rarely just as simple as like, this guy said mean thing. I ban now.
0: So if you, you mentioned uh, staying sane, you know, not losing your insanity over, over those conversations. How did you manage to do that? Um, did you have a method for yourself or, or do you still apply some, some techniques? Like when you read something super bad that, uh, you know, I don't know, you listen to some Eurodance to, to, you know, to get in a good mood again afterwards. What do you do in order to not go all crazy?
1: Well, I mean, the Eurodance is definitely part of it. I mean, like no one listens to Captain Jack because they think it's good music. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Bruce. He's gonna kill me if he hears that. Uh, so
0: I'll make sure he hears it too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so it's it is it is part of the escape. You know, it, it's it's about having a release and about having a way to to get away from all of that that doesn't remind you of that. And I think also part of it as well is that. I live in finland and a lot of the people i deal with are not here uh so i can just close my eyes and remember that like i don't have to interact with these people outside of this setting of course sometimes you get crazy people who find you on other platforms and they threaten you and they they take it too far but like most of the time it stays on that platform uh, except the time that breitbart wrote about one of the communities I manage and how we are all paid for by George Soros, which was actually more funny than it was scary. (laughs) But uh, I mean, I wish Soros paid me like I'm broke. Like, Daddy, if you're listening, pay me. But so it's it's difficult. And uh, it is about having kind of like those other hobbies and those other things that you do. And also remembering, like I said, that there you can always walk away. You can always turn the computer off and at the end of the day you have the power like it's it's you your users are not more powerful than you are (laughs) in that sense uh of course it gets more complicated when you're talking about a game because without your players you have nothing so you have to you know respect your players and you have to you have to keep that in mind but at the same time you cannot create an environment where your players or your users just bully you constantly and are so toxic to you every day that it makes you feel bad because that's a sign of a really much larger problem that that something is not okay
0: would you manage uh, toxic people toxic members of the community differently in different communities um do or, or would you say it's the same patterns that you see and that you apply across the board
1: i would say for games it's much more complicated For non games, it's easier. For example, I have one DJ friend, whose community I run, there's a few 1000 people. And, you know, he's he's straight up with me. He's like, if anyone acts like an asshole, ban them. Like, I don't care if they're my fan, ban them. But when it comes to games, and you know things that are much more kind of centered around profits and and retention and things like this the mindset is i would say different because you have to consider that this person might be a paying customer and so the way that you talk to them has to kind of reflect company culture and also reflect you know uh the fact that this person this person has more value to you just than they are part of a group naturally at the same time all fans are equal and all players are equal so you shouldn't give special or worse treatment to anyone uh and so if there's a user in a gaming community who is you know just attacking people that should not be tolerated and they should be banned um but sometimes it's not as clear-cut sometimes people are just Unsure how to communicate, bad at communicating. English is not their first language, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of times toxicity is not as clear cut as we like to make it out to be, and there's more nuance out there than right. I think a lot of people realize, and that's something that I've had to learn over the years, that, you know, sometimes people write stuff just because they don't have better words for the thing they actually mean. And it comes off more rude than how they actually mean it to come off. And I wanna, again, stress that this is not the same thing as someone who says, I hope all members of X group fall off the planet. Like, obviously you don't tolerate that, yeah. but I think you know what I mean.
0: But how do you um, recognize those those patterns? Um, uh, for I mean, for yourself, when do you say, I give this person a chance <laughs> to understand them better to um to see if it's a a lack of you know better words describe what their issue is and when are you more in the mood like uh, like giving up what are the things you you recognize are there early signs of uh you know stupidity or something like this that you sometimes recognize in people
1: if they don't change and it's 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 flat out like that so if if there's someone in the community who's behaving in a less than great way I will warn them. I will say, listen, this is not okay. You cannot do this. And if their response to that is, I'm sorry, and they explain why they're sorry and what they meant, and if that if that's a logical explanation, then I'm like, okay, you understand now what the problem is and you're not going to do it again. But if I say, hey, what you said there was really bad, here's why. And their response is, you're too sensitive. Everyone these days is too sensitive. And they, they the feedback goes one in or out the other, or they try to make themselves the victim, then I kind of don't have any tolerance left at that point. I think it's about their own personal attitude in response to the criticism, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I just wonder, it, it totally makes sense. I just wonder, like, sometimes you must spend a lot of time to figure out uh, how they react to that. So um, yeah, are there moments when you like, ah, I'm, I'm not sure if, if that person is, like, is honest or if that person is, is going to change, but I simply don't have the time to engage with them. Other, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are moments like this.
1: Sometimes, yeah, for sure. Obviously not every time. Um, on Reddit, there have been situations where I just don't care you know we have a thread on the front page and there's hundreds of comments coming in every minute i just don't care at that point but if it's clearly you know a miscommunication then i will spend more time it depends on my mindset at the time as well but i as a general rule i try very hard to see the best in people and not be jaded about all of this Um, Because it's really easy to be like, the internet is full of Nazis. I'm going to bed now. (laughs) Uh, Which is like a totally valid thing. I think wasn't Nico who told me that he had heard the average community manager only lasts like two or three years or something, uh, because they can't handle it. And I found that really sad. Um, yeah I think you're you're
0: actually the only one that I know who's uh, been doing this for more than than 15 years and (laughs) I I don't know if the two or three years thing is is correct Uh, uh, Nico by the way for the listeners is our head of program at at Defcom and um, I'm I'm just curious because all the community managers I know—I'm just going through them in my head—and uh, I've worked with a lot of them over the past uh, uh, decades or so. They—they uh, would probably say the same thing. You—you you can't stay sane for more than than a few years. So there must be some secret sauce, uh, Alicia, that you have that uh, you know somehow kept you—you uh, kept you sane over all those years.
1: Maybe it's because I wasn't sane to begin with. Like I don't—you know—I don't know. <laughs> You know you have to remember like i'm a i'm a weird person i don't watch a lot of uh, reality shows so maybe this is kind of like my reality show some people turn on temptation island and i go to work you know
0: <laughs> nothing wrong with that because
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is entertaining sometimes like sometimes i sometimes i have so much fun reading the insanity that comes across my desk like and and i think that's what i like about this job is that i just never know sometimes it's soul crushing like i think when i talked to you during the the inner like the pre-screening or whatever you want to call it for this podcast that you know the capital riots and how for years i was warning people that this stuff was building up online and that this is a real problem the alt right is a real problem they're using this kind of language you know excuse me, they're using this kind of language and this is the problem. And I got called alarmist and crazy and paranoid and a social justice warrior, shaju, if you will, and all these names. And then January 6th happened. And suddenly everybody was like, oh, you're right. And I don't want that. I don't want to be like, ha ha, I told you so. Like that doesn't feel good for me. I wish people would have heard me sooner. And I think that is the spot in Headspace where a lot of community managers end up because obviously we see a lot. And a good community manager, in my opinion, has been on the internet long enough to know how memes and language change. And this is something I'm going to talk about on Friday at my keynote, um, is just the, the the essence of a changing internet changing slang changing words you know i follow a twitter account called ancient memes and the memes are only from five years ago
0: they are ancient in inner in our speak
1: that's I what guess. i mean though they're they're <laughs> yeah. ancient they're ancient yeah. but if you don't if if you're not up to these things a five-year-old meme to you might seem like a meme from you know just yesterday because right. That's how it used to be. Five years ago in pop culture time used to not be a ton of time. Now it's an eternity.
0: Yeah, I mean, memes are usually only hot for like, I don't know, a few days or maybe a few weeks. So that's it's it, really you know.
1: rare that memes stay relevant yeah, for a longer right. time. So so you I'm, talked
0: about some of those signs of, um, you know, radicalization in the community, little warning signs that, that you saw based on your community work. Um, can can you share some of your thoughts on what those are, and uh, and how were you able to to see this in the community? How do how do communities, from your point of view and based on your experience, radicalize? Do you see certain patterns evolve? Um, maybe you can describe a little bit uh, how that uh, that feels.
1: So I think a lot of people expect that when a community radicalizes, that someone is going to show up with a username like Hitler is great one two three, and then that's it but it's actually much more subtle than that it's it's a subtle and slow transformation that usually starts with memes it starts with memes it starts with memes it starts with reaction videos it starts with you know content shit posting if you will but not the fun kind it starts with things that the average person would find innocuous And it escalates from there. It goes from reaction videos of crazy people saying something in the name of feminism, for example. You know, people who are clearly troubled saying something in the name of feminism. It goes from that to posting videos about how feminists and trans people are crazy. Then it goes to videos that say feminists actually have a mental illness. Then it goes to videos and articles from alternative media sources about how feminists and transgender people and immigrants are coming to replace you. Then it goes into alternative media sources that are literally ran by white supremacists and Nazis. Uh, and who have links to fringed, militarized groups. It's a slow process. Their language is constantly changing. Their, uh, the way they they present themselves is constantly changing because they are trying to present themselves as not extremists and not what they actually are because it's much easier to get other people to come along with you if other people think you're a centrist. My favorite line is, I'm a leftist, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, every, everything before the butt is bullshit, right? Yeah, if someone
1: <laughs> says, I'm a leftist, but there are too many immigrants, yeah. uh, that's not a thing a leftist would say. Or, I'm a leftist, but I think Marie Le Pen is the best choice for France. Like, you're not a leftist then, bud. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And these are the kind of, these are the kind of things they write because it makes people in the center who are afraid of seeming as though they are on the far right feel like they can be on the far right because, well, I'm a centrist and I would, I I don't feel this way. Um, And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with being a centrist. There's a lot of things wrong with being on the far right. There's nothing wrong with being an actual centrist, but it's about understanding when someone is trying to coerce you into falling for stuff. And oftentimes what happens in these situations is that people either wake up And realize that, you know, reading Breitbart and the Daily Wire and all of these articles and news sources that are just reactionary scare tactic headlines to get a rise out of you. You know, these these papers, they want you to be angry. They want you to feel something. Because if you're indifferent, you're not gonna do anything. But if you're angry, you will act. So they want you to be angry. They want you to be outraged. They want you to be outraged that the European race is dying, whatever the European race is. And so they want you to feel this anger. And because when you're in that vulnerable emotional state, if you're scared, then you're much easier or much more likely to convert to their ideology. So they count on this and they do it a lot on forums and platforms where there are a lot of young people, especially young men, because young men tend to be lonely, especially young gamer types, they tend to be lonely, they tend to feel shy, outcasts, and suddenly there's this group of people that says, hey, come to us, we're your buddies, we're going to be your friends, we're your your family now. The reason you don't have a girlfriend isn't because of anything wrong with you, it's because of society. Mm, Right. So it's, it's, it's a slow process, like I said, and they, they use memes to get you there. And then because they use memes and they co-opt images and slang and words. When you, as someone who's spent way too much time on the internet, realize this is happening and you try to say to someone, hey, that emoji you're using has now been co-opted by like fascists, maybe you shouldn't use that emoji. They can turn around and say, see, see, they're so paranoid. They think this emoji is racist. And then you just look stupid. So, That's happened to me a bunch of times.
0: I can imagine. I mean, it's a, a lot of interesting aspects to what you were just describing. For when do you need to stop this? At what point do you need to jump in as a community manager or somebody who who might have the power over a platform that conversations like these are happening? Is is there a point when when there's pretty much a point of no return when it's too late, or or can you always like along lines do something? I mean, it's at some point I think you need to react, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. So uh, first of all, if you're not a political forum and you have off-topic threads, let's say you have a forum for people who like pictures of beans in places where beans should not be. Uh, That's a thing. Uh, Is it though? Yeah. (laughs) So let's say you have a forum for people who like to look at pictures of beans in places where you traditionally wouldn't find beans. You might have an off-topic thread or off-topic channel or whatever and if people start to post in that off-topic channel from certain websites they are removed and you explain to those users that we do not allow this kind of this kind of talk some people get around this by saying no politics um i don't necessarily like no politics rules because i think it's really hard to decide and define what politics are yeah. uh depending on your philosophical background everything is political politi- political so for me no politics is too vague i usually just put that under the flag of no extremism and only news from credible reliable news sources um in some of the communities i moderate we use i think the website is called like media fact check bias or something like this and we use their scale to determine what is reliable and what is not um oftentimes as well i can just look at a website's headlines and tell you know if their website is just full of shocking five photographs that will shock you for shock reasons like you know usually we don't allow this kind of stuff yeah that's the one um, thing that
0: surprises me all the time a lot of uh, times when i see those links uh for like uh, alternative news sources uh, I, I just need to read the headline and i'm like i mean everybody who, who takes a closer look at this needs to understand that this is not this is not this is a good news source you know media
1: so. literacy is surprisingly bad among people of all ages,
0: yeah, that's what I figured as well. It's I, I'm I'm shocked sometimes. I mean, if I if, around the the capital rides that you mentioned, I actually went to Breitbart uh, a website that I usually would not visit, but I wanted <laughs> to, I wanted to. Just see how this is being reported, if it's reported at all. And uh, and I found it shocking going to a website like this, where, uh, like you said, you know, people are just, you know, made angry about stuff, and they even use like capital letters in in bold colors and everything. It's super uh, reduced to you know a core message that is almost never right in any no, sense. No, it's, it's never uh,
1: right. It's never right, and there's no oversight and i think that's what people fail to understand and then they say well oh well who who has the oversight over the new york times and it's like well it's the editorial board actually yeah. you know like there's entire people whose job it is, is to fact check these publications and that's not to say that the new york times or the bbc or whoever doesn't have their own slant on certain topics i think the bbc has been called out several times and so has the new york times for example but it's just a matter of Excuse me. Sorry. I think it's it's just a matter of journalistic integrity. Um, and if you just compare headlines from the BBC versus headlines from Breitbart or the Daily Wire or Newsmax or any of those places, you can tell that it's nonsense. And a lot of them have even admitted in court that they are not news sites but rather entertainment sites because they've been yeah. threatened with lawsuits in the U.S. at least for sharing information that is just totally made up and from nowhere. Um, So I have, you know, no problem from my perspective with people on a community, having different opinions from different spectrums and different backgrounds. Diversity is really important. Inclusivity is really important. Having all kinds of people in your community is important, but when you let one group be louder than the other, it's bad. And when you let one group just, constantly spam bad information, bad takes, fake information. I don't wanna say fake news, but like false information, disinformation. That's a problem because I don't believe, for example, that trans rights are a political issue. And I don't believe that people of different races is a political issue. Trans rights are rights, they're human rights. Trans lives matter, trans people matter, black lives matter. Black people matter, you know, It's it, this is not a political issue. Everyone should be welcome and feel safe in any community. And if you have a group of people in your community who is actively advocating for the lives of those people to be less safe, that is a problem. And that's not a political problem. That's an ideological one that needs to be removed, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, and a lot of those um, discussions I, f- I follow myself in all kinds of different places where you know people said it's a political issue and we need to discuss about this. No, no we don't. I mean, it's it's a human issue. <laughs> and it's. I'll it. give
1: you a good example. Uh, oh God! So last weekend was uh, the second semi-final for the Estonian uh, national final for Eurovision. Esti laul. And in Estilal Pauli Final Cox, there was a band called Alabama Watchdog, whose song was also called Alabama Watchdog. And in the second verse of their song, they had a lyric about trans people and how trans women are not women. And a lot of people were justifiably upset about this. And wrote to the band and wrote to ERR, the national broadcaster, to say, hey, this is not cool. And uh, the band responded by saying, oh, we're sorry you feel that way about our lyric. We don't personally take a side in this issue.
0: (laughs) But you sing about it. I mean, come on. But
1: but that's not even the point. It's like, first of all, you sing about it. But second of all, what side is there? Yeah. There is no side. (laughs) If a trans woman is a trans woman, then she's a woman like There's, there's not an issue. There's not a, like, there is no argument here. A woman is a woman is a woman. So I don't, I don't understand what they were trying to get out of and, and no one bought it. Like the Eurovision community, especially was not satisfied. And thankfully their song did not qualify for the final, but it's just, it was one of those things where, and this happens on communities as well, where someone says something that is transphobic and then you say, hey, that's transphobic. And they say, no, I'm not taking a side. There is no side to take. And in that sense, you are taking a side by not saying that trans women are women. And by wanting to argue with people's validity, the validity of a human being, right. you are taking a side. And that's not okay.
0: So have these guys been disqualified or did they just, for based on their musical performance, didn't make it to the finals?
1: They basically made a, like, honestly, their performance felt like someone was performing making fun of them. They had, like, these fake headlines coming up during their performance. And wow. it just felt like someone was doing a, it felt like they were doing a parody of themselves. So, no, they did not qualify. They're... The thing about Estonia is that it's full of amazing, talented, diverse artists. So, yeah, it was not a question in my head that they wouldn't qualify. But just the fact that they were curated into the top twenty-four to begin with was really weird.
0: Yeah, I was. I was just wondering if uh, they have officially been excluded from from further competition, or uh, because that would have been the right thing to do in that case.
1: Uh, Estonia does not have a very vocal LGBTQ plus community. Uh, the backlash was mostly from abroad.
0: Okay. Well, but still, I think this is a it's a very important uh, topic that you know as a society in general, not only in Estonia but in many countries, we we need to move toward a point where there is no debate about this anymore. Like you say, there's no no question if somebody comes up and does something like this. There, you know, it, it it can't be. You know, they can't uh, move on, and you know everything is just tolerated.
1: Well, this is how I feel about it as well. And in a game context, it's like you know you can have different opinions about a game you guys can talk about mechanics and how levels should look how characters should be you know all these different things and like disagreement and difference of opinion is is fantastic but the second it starts to be like well I don't want any trans characters in my game it's like well why (laughs) why why would that even be an issue for you or or if you disagree with someone about something and then they start attacking you personally for being trans or not white or a woman or whatever it's like why is this a thing you know these are not political issues these are attacking someone personally and that's that's never okay for anyone anywhere so why would it be okay in a community
0: so let's talk a bit about games community and specifics we've already touched the topic a little bit but obviously based on your experience with all the communities you've managed um, you, you learned a lot about this and what would you say what kind of processes are applicable to the game communities as well. Is there anything that uh, you, you can talk about where games communities are more specific, where you would, I mean, you already said, like, you know, they're all customers and, you know, some of them pay a lot of money. So you might want to make sure they are managed in, in a slightly different way. Are there any other things that you would say uh, you can, you know, derive from what you've learned from other communities and apply it to games or, or do it completely differently?
1: I think in terms of when interacting with a game community, I think it's important to sometimes remind the people that are in your community that there are people who make your game. Because there's always going to be young people who just don't understand and who are angry about every little thing, whether it's a mobile game or a PC game, they're going to be angry and disappointed about something. And I think it's really important sometimes not to guilt them and don't have, and it should be subtle, but just sometimes remind everyone like, Hey, this is our community manager and they're really cool. And, you know, on the weekends they like to hang out with their cat and read a book, you know, like just to subtly remind people that like the community manager or managers are people who exist outside of this. And that they are people, too, who also play games and who also do things. And to keep this kind of human element there, because I think when there's a human element to community management for games, the amount of abuse decreases. Because when you're a faceless entity, people are much more willing to, you know, just say whatever because they think a human is not going to read it or some subcontracted support person is going to read it. But if they realize that, like, wait a minute, if I say this thing, that's kind of mean, a real human being is going to read that and that might feel bad. And of course, you know, you're always going to have rude people. You're always going to have people who are dissatisfied. Um, but having the human connection there, the way a lot of non-gaming communities do is essential. It's essential because it, it just humanizes everything so much more. And I think that's one way to really streamline all of that. I think another thing is that oftentimes, you know, some communities get the reputation for being toxic and a lot of people blame the community managers for that. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. Of course, like the, some responsibility lies on the community manager, but of course, like there's always more to the story. A good community manager and a good player support team are acting on company values and on company culture. And if company values, for example, are not articulated properly to the community team and to the player support team, then I think there's oftentimes a lot of room for miscommunication. And oftentimes the player support and community people maybe don't know how to communicate or how to articulate because, you know, they're not sure, are they talking now as themselves? Are they talking as the company? If this situation were happening in the office how would the company handle it so making sure that community understands the company vision and values or the organization vision vision and values can help deal and combat toxicity because then people know how to approach problems which i think is essential as well
0: right you talked about the the human component and kind of humanizing all the, the experience with the uh, with the community management um And also, you earlier talked a bit about, uh, of course, you know, toxic communities and the risk of being exposed a little too much as a community, probably receiving threats and and, and stuff like that. Um, Where do you draw the line in terms of how human you can be, how much of yourself you can show in a community as a community manager? Um, Is there is there something that is too much?
1: I would say common sense is really important. So obviously... Don't post pictures of your kids or names of your kids or your school or or anything kind of like that. You know, anything that's like too personal, really identifiable and vulnerable information, I I would never suggest sharing. But hobbies, interests, these kind of aspects of who you are that are not likely to dox you are important to share. Favorite bands, favorite TV shows, you know, what you do outside of work. Uh, all these kind of stuff, it's it's important, I think, and I think it's a good balance. But obviously, like I said, anything that would cause you to be vulnerable, I would advise against.
0: Do you know community managers that actually disclose their name?
1: I think uh, at Supercell, they have a really good system where people uh, people know who they are. And on Twitter, for example, they have you know name at Supercell, and people can tweet at them. And I think that's amazing and that's something i wish more companies would do because i think obviously you know if you look at if you look at some of the sub- subreddits for supercell games obviously a lot of the comments are not always positive but when people do go on silly tirades there are people who chime in and say hey listen he's a person he's doing his best you know so i think i love the way supercell does it and i think a lot of companies could learn a thing or two from supercell's community teams because i think they're they're adding the right amount of humanity to this.
0: I like the shout out to Supercell. <laughs> we probably got to get somebody from Supercell community team on one of the casts. Uh, in Definitely,
1: the you should. I highly recommend uh, Drew or Frank. I really like them both a lot. So well, shout I, I, out to them. I both might get back to
0: you uh, to make the connections there, and probably bring you on the episode as well, so we can have an interesting conversation about it.
1: <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, so, so
0: um, if we talk about uh, games in, in general, um, you're also a producer of, of mobile games. Um, yes. Uh, do you have Uh, situations where uh, you manage the community for those games yourself on the side or do you work with community teams or community managers that actually do the community management and if so how much can you actually stay away from it do you have to get involved yourself based on your experience
1: so for one of the games that i've produced i was directly managing the community and it was fun (laughs) (laughs) i know that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like it would be but on 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 some level i felt like i was streamlining the process if that makes any sense because obviously when you're making a mobile game you are constantly making iterations and improvements and doing stuff based on feedback so being able to have the producer also be the community manager and be able to take the feedback and know exactly how to delegate it into whom was awesome i understand that i was very privileged because this game was not that big So uh, this would be impossible and completely unrealistic for a larger company. Um, But I think this kind of emphasizes the importance of communication between community and the rest of the team, because community is going to be the one seeing the majority of the feedback. And I think a good community manager or player support person, it's their job to process that feedback and make sure the right feedback goes forward and not just the people who whine the loudest
0: yeah and, and it goes in both directions actually there's uh based on my experience and I worked on a lot of uh, community driven games uh, in the massively multiplayer space you know there's always feedback from the community but there's also feedback from the dev team back to the community and I think yeah. that, that that needs to be kind of moderated as well so that you don't raise expectations too much and <laughs> at some point you can't deliver but at the same time you know you give this um, you give back some some feeling to the community that uh, their voices are heard and that you, if you take it seriously and that you are going to um, you know adapt certain things in the game based on 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 their joint feedback on on things
1: exactly exactly and i think um communication between community and ua is also essential because community in a lot of ways is doing retention right so ua has to be sending out a message that community can keep up with because if ua and marketing are saying one thing and the game is another you are community is going to be the one who is dealing with the onslaught of Complaints and frustration. So, the magic to any company or any team, in my opinion, is treating community as equal members of the team and not just people who hang out on Twitter all day.
0: No, I, th- I think it is absolutely important. Just to, by the way, for the uh, Devcom community who's not so familiar with the marketing speak, uh, UA sorry, is, uh, UA is user acquisition. Uh, just wanted to to clarify that. Not, not everybody comes from a from a similar um, background, so uh, it's always good to um, explain things a little bit. Um, if we, if you look at that, and I've seen that, that countless times, that uh, you know, you know, community management is is sometimes a second thought and it should not be. Yeah. Um, from my point of view, it is absolutely important that community management is deeply rooted in the development team uh, of a game. Uh, ideally, that person you know connects directly with the game director, producer, product manager, whoever is in, in charge of the product owner of a game, they need to be a strong voice in the development team, providing feedback, but also helping them to, uh, you know, develop a plan how to communicate with the players out there. And I think this is uh, something that in all these successful cases, you, you mentioned Supercell and there's many others out there uh, where they've done a tremendous job in actually getting getting this done right. Um, and exactly. then it can be very powerful.
1: Exactly, because it's not enough to just have downloads. It's not enough to just say, yeah, we got, you know, 7 billion downloads on the first You know month of launch or whatever if those people are not going to stay you know if those people are just going to download the game realize that it's not what was advertised and then leave that's not great because like i said then community is left to pick up the pieces and deal with the complaints and then whatever kpis or okrs you have for community are not going to be reached and then you know everyone's going to be frustrated at community when in reality marketing were the ones who were targeting the wrong users so there has to be a good communication chain between everybody and open communication between everyone so everyone understands where everyone else is
0: and i think especially in online games and live operated games that live for many many years and that's pretty much all the games that i've worked on since like the 13 years when i joined the uh, 13 years ago when i when i joined the industry um in all those titles it is you know, interconnected uh, along the way. You, you can't see one without the other. And uh, I see still a lot of companies these days that focus on user acquisition in the beginning. And uh, like you said, they get like the 7 billion users, <laughs> however many there are, and they get them in and they're super excited about it. They pay a lot of money for it, uh, some of the big ones. I mean, they, they pay crazy, um, uh, you know, prices per user, per install. And uh, then they lose them, like after a day or a week or so, uh, because they hadn't thought about the second part of this, um, which is the, the retention part and how to manage this. So um, I'm glad to hear this from you, and kind of confirms, you know, my own experience that I also had there. I'm currently building up a, a new team in that space of live-operated games, and uh, one of the key hires that um, you know I just recently made is somebody who connects marketing and community, who who thinks this. Uh, as something that belongs together Uh, and i think this is very important um, to to start from from early on you know when you have the first thoughts about the game and uh, how you want to open it up to to the community you need to have somebody who drives that part
1: exactly and you need to have someone who understands the bigger picture as well so in my opinion a good community manager is someone who obviously understands social media they understand memes, as silly as that sounds. Like I, and like, I'll be frank, like I have that my, I wrote in my CV that I have good memes because I think that's important.
0: It is, it, I important. mean, you shouldn't use the ones that are five years old, obviously. No, you know? but like,
1: but the point is that like, when you have a community manager, you want someone who clearly spends too much time on the internet. Yeah. That is the most important facet of a community manager is that someone who spends too much time online but the second most important thing I would say is someone who also understands marketing to an extent. Yeah. So they don't need to have a marketing degree, but just someone who understands the basic idea of marketing, of acquiring users, not the specifics, not the ad spends, not you know like the number stuff, but just the basic idea of how the bigger picture works. If everyone understands a little bit of how something works, then it's much easier for them to join a team. You know, I think, like I said before, a lot of people assume that community is just you sit on Twitter, and you sit on Facebook. And when someone retweets you, you like it. But there's so much more there to, to, to that role than just being on Twitter. Because simply being present on Twitter alone is, is not enough to build a community, engage a community, get the feedback you need, and, and kind of drive home the bigger marketing picture.
0: There's an aspect to community management we haven't talked about so far but i'm curious about your opinion and that is how you build a community team usually you start with a person who's the nucleus um, of of the community efforts that you have around the game but sometimes for larger games uh, then of course you have a global community team that's somehow connected uh, and you want the customer experience to be similar no matter where people are where they play Uh, what are your thoughts on how to build up a community team. If it's not one person anymore, but you have many, how would you do this? How would you, uh, how would you make sure that uh, a certain level of uh, quality and experience in interacting with users is ensured um, throughout the entire um, community?
1: All people have strengths and weaknesses. And I think the essence of a good team is finding people whose strengths and weaknesses balance off of each other. So when you put them together, they have a complete unit, if that makes any sense. So you might have someone who's amazing at copywriting, but not the best at short 240 character content. Um, You might have someone who's amazing at making TikTok and YouTube edits, but who's not great at copywriting. You might have someone who is really good at ideation and coming up with plans and engagement and how we're going to make the processes and doing the pipeline, but who can't edit videos uh, and who maybe isn't so good with dealing one-on-one with the players. So to have a team of diverse people with a similar vision is important. The key is to approach these things from a similar mindset it doesn't matter where you're from what country you're from you know what your education level is if you approach things from the right mindset and you have skills that the other members of the team don't have i think in a lot of cases you're a good fit and oftentimes it's about understanding where your strength is and what is the thing that the team lacks that you can bring and it might not always be that you get the job for example it might be that your strengths are totally valid and amazing but that the team you're applying for or trying to build doesn't need those and that's totally valid but someone else might so there's a lot of like micro skills is that a word like there's a lot of smaller skills that go into this that a diverse team and I don't mean diverse and like people from all over, but a, diver- a, a team of diverse talents would have and should have.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it, this is absolutely true for, for any successful team that, that I know, that they bring different backgrounds, different skills that are complementary in a way so that uh, you know you build a team, but you can rely on some members of your team to do the one thing and others uh, to do the other thing. There, there's one aspect that I'm also curious about in that regard, um, would you, pretty much send them all through kind of a training in the beginning as to how to communicate with it or or like to set the tone that you want to have in a specific games community for example Uh, is that anything you've done before you would do for uh, for future projects
1: i would definitely sit people down and explain to them the company vision and the company culture because i think that that should be reflected in what you're doing um because your community is an extension of you right so you should be always in some sense acting as a part, an ambassador of your company, but you should be still having your own personal touch to that. So how you execute that should be on you. And I think absolutely having some kind of just initial onboarding, if you will, that explains, here is kind of how we do things. Um, Here is where we see you and then throw the ball to them and say, how do you see yourself in this? Now that you have this information, where do you see yourself? And what do you think you could bring to the table? And how do you fit into this? And then kind of deciding together as a team, you know, what this new person or these new people would add. Um, I think being really open and transparent about it and also supportive and reminding people that there's no such thing as a person who's perfect at everything. That is just unrealistic and, and, you know, not fair yourself or your team to assume that you're going to be the best at something so letting letting people kind of find their path is important
0: yeah one of the reasons i was asking this is in in the past we um in my my previous company that i worked for we had a relatively large global network of um, community um, activists, I would say. You know, there were we had internal community managers uh, that uh, were on the payroll that were helping to manage those games. They were kind of the core of the of the team. Uh, they um, were setting kind of the tone that we needed for the different games. But at the same time, there was also a large network of um, volunteers around the world in different uh, territories, different regions. Uh, they provided local community management in the languages that were spoken there. And the, the biggest challenge always was to make sure that uh everybody who was so uh eagerly awaiting to take part in in managing a community who who was a player before um that they at least got part of that company vision that you were talking about, of the game vision you were talking about, and and they understood the tone that we wanted to to send over. That's why I was curious because this is uh, it's one of the most important things that uh, we, we'd build for for those games, and I think it's what kept them going for 10, 15 years and longer. Um, but at the same time, it's always the thing that you had to spend the most time on to make sure that uh, people are understanding the vision and where you want to go and to stay connected to to the to the entire network in a sense
1: exactly exactly and of course like translating all of that into those languages is its own kind of thing so you might have really core values but then when the person in the german market or the turkish market or the hindi market tries to execute that in their own language there are going to be some things that just have to change because linguistically it just doesn't work. Yeah. So there's always, there's always challenges in localization. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Localization is a very important topic. We had a lot of, um, uh, communities, sub communities in, um, uh, some of the, um, you know, middle Eastern, uh, African uh, communities or c- countries. And, uh, oftentimes languages spoken there were just, uh, so far away from any uh, language that anybody spoke who, who was uh, part of the company that, uh, there was no, uh, QA, if you will, possible for that. So uh, there, a lot of trust was involved, obviously, and that had yeah. to be built first. And uh, this was when it got really tricky. So when we got complaints from members of, uh, I don't know, the community in Saudi Arabia, for example, you know, then it was hard for us to uh, sometimes, you know, look into that and, and realize what was going on because, quite frankly, there was a language barrier and that makes it very hard sometimes for big global communities um, to be uh, managed the same way than uh, uh, like English-speaking communities um, that are very condensed and in in certain sense
1: it's really difficult and like you said it's it's a lot of trust it's a lot of trust but when you have a large enough community you start to realize who the all-stars of your community are and if you have a large global community and you're starting to think about localization eventually you're going to start to have people who speak certain languages as a native or close to native language Um, and at that point it's just a lot of interacting with the community And those kind of star members and and really engaging with them and trusting them to help you and hoping that it works out. And then obviously, once you get really good investment or really good sales, then you can actually start to hire professionals from that part of the world if that market market is lucrative for you.
0: Absolutely. So as as a, kind of the last thing that I wanted to talk about is is, um, is the Call for Change Summit uh, yes. that is going to come up for DEFCOM. I mean, obviously uh, you're the keynote speaker, uh, like we said in the beginning. Uh, anything that you can already talk about today that um, uh, people that attend uh, the Call for Change Summit are going to hear from you uh, in your keynote?
1: I'm going to talk about the change and the pace of change and the rate of change in social media and why... It's important to stay up to date because when I started community management, it was 2003 and things were different and how we approached social issues was different and how we, and and the kinds of jokes and the kinds of humor and the kinds of things that we said back then were never okay. But a lot of people didn't know back then that they weren't okay. They didn't have the knowledge that we have now. They didn't have the discourse that we have now. And if you compare it to five or 10 years ago or five years ago, or even a year ago, things are constantly changing and we're constantly learning. And I wanna talk about how as community managers and as people who are creating safe social spaces, we have to come to terms with the fact that some of us might've not always been the best people we could possibly be if we were teenagers on the internet back then but that now that we have hindsight and that we have the knowledge that we have now we need to keep up with it and we need to keep growing and keep improving and part of being a good community manager and being a good community member is staying up to date with how people communicate what people are saying the origins of memes, the origins of words. Don't just start saying a word because other people are saying it, you know, a lot of people a couple years ago started calling people cucks and didn't know why they were calling them cucks. They just started saying the word cock because everyone was saying cock. They didn't know what cuckoldry was and they certainly didn't know what the alt-right fascination with cockoldry was, but they were using that word. And there are probably people out there who called someone a cuck without even realizing what they were calling them and why people had started using that word. So I want to talk about vigilance and change and spending too much time on the internet, but in a good way.
0: <laughs> it, it definitely sounds very, very exciting. Uh, I can't wait for uh, your keynote uh, at the Call for Change Summit. And I hope that you know, the people listening to this uh, podcast episode um, before uh, the uh, summit uh, are going to tune in and listen to you and, and hear talk about those exciting things. And even if you hear this episode after uh, the Call for Change Summit, uh, I think it's definitely <laughs> going to be interesting for you as well. And uh, they're probably going to get a recording or something similar. Um, I just of, hope I
1: don't uh, offend anyone. Um,
0: oh you know sometimes uh, <laughs> you probably can't get a uh, can't get around offending uh, people uh, if it's for a good cause uh, in, in yeah. a way, you know.
1: I hope you're right <laughs>
0: let's see <laughs> Uh, Alicia, thank you so much um, for a super entertaining episode. Uh, it was good fun uh, for me to talk to you about all those things I could have g- gone on for hours. Uh, so I definitely yeah. think we need to do this again at some point and see for what sure. you've learned until then. And maybe we can get the uh, Supercell meets uh, Felicia panel <laughs> about community management going.
1: I would love <laughs> it. I would love it so much. I yeah. love everyone at Supercell. They're so cool. So oh, it's a
0: shout out to Supercell. If you guys hear this, then please get, <laughs> get, get in touch. All right. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to today. Uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, like I said, I can't wait uh, for the keynote.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to a DevCom podcast produced by Sven Fossing, Executive producer Stefan
0: Reischart. Music by weloveindies.com. Supported by Beyer Dynamic, High quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany.